welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. When you set out to uh, plan a, a sermon series a month ago in a book like the book of Proverbs, and you, you try to arrange it all out and, and try to figure out the best way to put it together. And we find ourselves here with only three, three weeks left in this book and wondering if maybe we should have spent a little more, more time in it. And today we're going to examine the issue of being a truth seeker, someone who seeks the truth. Now, truth, even the idea of it, is a, an issue for many in our day. Does truth even exist? And if it exists... Can it even be known by us? And if we can know it, how? How do we come to know what is true? And if you've lived in this world for any amount of time, the more complicated a situation gets, often the more difficult it is to tell what is actually going on and what is actually true. Competing narratives really are the theme of our day. You can watch one news source cover an event from one way and another covered from another way, and it's like they're covering two completely different events. How do you tell the difference between the two? One side claims a set of facts, the other claims the exact opposite set of facts. How do we hope to continue as one people if we can't even agree on a basic understanding of reality and truth? This may sound like an academic question, but it's really at the foundation of just about every division we're having as a people. We view reality fundamentally different than many of our neighbors. For the Christian, the Bible is the source of truth because we believe this about Scripture. It is breathed out by God. And when Paul writes that in 2 Timothy, what he means is it is spoken by God. It comes from his breath, out of his mouth. These are the very words of God contained in Scripture. God still speaks today, and he speaks through his word. If you disbelieve or disobey the Bible, you are disbelieving or disobeying the creator God of the universe. That is what Christians believe. And in this way, the Bible provides the foundation for us being able to know anything at all and just about everything at all. Our culture's rejection of the Bible is at the heart of why we can't know why women are women and that math isn't a form of white supremacy. It would be funny, but people actually don't understand these things. The entire book of Proverbs is meant to be a guide for you and for me for finding truth and for being able to live it out. We have competing voices today, and we have competing voices in the book of Proverbs. You have Lady Wisdom, she is putting forward her view of reality, and you have Lady Folly, who is yelling out her view 
of reality. We have in the book as well, we have wise men who Solomon is encouraging that his sons become friends with wise men. And then you have evil men who are encouraging evil. And he says, don't be friends with them. This book is meant to make us wise, to be able to know the truth, and then to live it out. Consider this command in Proverbs 23.23. Solomon writes, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Why this imagery? Well, how you spend your money communicates a lot about what you value and what you think you need. You, you literally spend your life working so that you can get money that then you can spend on what you need and what you want. And the command here to buy truth is the command that that would become one of the primary things that you view, that you need, and that you want. Things like Truth, wisdom, understanding, instruction are worth your time, your attention, your wealth, and your whole life. And so Solomon says, buy truth. Don't sell it. Don't get rid of it. And so much of this book is spent in outlining how exactly to do that. How to find truth. How to tell the difference between a truth and a lie. Again, the book opens with these words, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, and knowledge and discretion to the youth. This is the point of the book, that you would grow in wisdom, knowledge, and truth. It is to grow in the art of skillful, godly living in God's world. And so today, in Proverbs 9, 7 through 12, we're going to see four characteristics of a truth seeker. What does it mean to be someone who seeks the truth? Now, if we're going to take a step back and look at all of Scripture, we could add to more than just these four, but we're going we're to focus in on these four themes, which are themes found throughout the book of Proverbs. And if you want to be a truth seeker, you need to have these four characteristics. And the first characteristic of a truth seeker is this. The willingness to accept correction. Nobody I've ever met, myself included, likes being told, you're wrong. I've not met that person yet. But a reoccurring theme throughout the book of Proverbs is the wise man is willing to accept correction. And this begins with the fundamental belief and practice that I don't know everything. We all, in general, recognize that, but we tend to forget it when somebody corrects us. Listen again to verses 7 through 9. Very striking words. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. I think the picture here can't be any more stark than it really is, and we should give very, very thoughtful uh, consideration to this. 
To correct a scoffer is to invite abuse into your own life and to cause you injury. This is, in essence, uh, a lot of what happens in comment sections online. You try to engage a scoffer, and well, don't be surprised when you get abuse. This is for one reason why I, I largely don't engage with people on social media anymore unless I know them in real life. Because otherwise, it's, it's just inviting abuse into your life. But note the contrast. How can you tell the difference between a wise man and a fool? A righteous man and a wicked man? How they respond to correction. Like this, is, this is like all of parenting, right? You spend all your energy correcting children and trying to teach them that it's good to receive correction. It doesn't stop when you're an adult. Now, we should be careful here. Some people do not offer correction in life in good faith. Some people really do just hate you and want to cut you down or try to manipulate and control you and to make you feel guilty. And when that situation arises, you shouldn't engage them. Remember, sometimes during his ministry, people would come up to Jesus and they would ask him questions and he'd pose a question back and they'd say, we don't want to answer these. He's like, I'm not answering you. Why do you do that? Because they weren't approaching him in honest, good faith. They didn't really want an answer. They just wanted to get a gotcha type of interaction. This is our day today in so many different ways. We have an obsession today with being affirming and being inclusive. And one of the strangest things you might have noticed in our world today is that those who are the loudest about inclusion and affirmation are those who are often the most exclusive and judgmental. It is never an if, but a which. It is never an if you have a standard, but which one will you judge by? And so we are taught today from our, from, from our children's cartoons, through our education, all the way up into college, to coddle people and to have them surrounded by only those who will affirm you. The answer to that, or the description of that in the Bible, is that you are a fool if you only want people to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to cover this a little bit more next week in our message on friendship. But as appealing as it is to only be affirmed, the underlying assumption here is that you are always right. And I've got news for you. You're not. Neither am I. Your feelings are not always right. Your feelings need to conform to the truth, not the other way around. Feelings can be wrong, and feelings, in my experience, are often very wrong. And if you can't see that, then you've bought into the underlying assumptions that drive woke and leftist thought. Even if you don't vote that way, if you live that way, you are woke. Now, of course, on the other side of the equation, no one wants to hang around a constant fault finder. No one wants to always have their flaws flaunted in their face. But we must be eager for good-willed and biblically-based correction from those closest to us. Proverbs 12.1, I think, summarizes this perfectly. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, that's correction, 
is stupid. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. This was breathed out by God. God's calling people stupid. If God is going to call something and label it stupid, you and I should pay very, very close attention to it. Am I that kind of a person? This is something I have, um, not perfectly, but tried to implement into my life. If someone brings a concern to me about something I've done, I always try to give it careful and thoughtful consideration. I ask myself, is there truth to this? Have I sinned in some way? Do I need to confess and repent in some way? This is a healthy practice. And this is also Christianity 101. This does not mean that you become crippled by every criticism you ever receive. It does not mean that every complaint that comes to you is accurate. Some of them are not. But you need to give fair due consideration to everything. Here's one thing that the old preachers knew and said often, is that sometimes your enemies see you clearer than those closest to you. At least they see your flaws clearer. The point remains the same. The wise man and the wise woman is willing to hear correction and criticism. And the wise man and the wise woman does not take all forms of correction as a personal attack. They don't automatically believe it either. But they measure it and they weigh it by wise counsel and by the word of God. And in this way we can become eager to put off our own sin because ultimately it is sin that is our enemy. It is sin that we are at war with. And if you actually get this deep into your bones, you're going to be about as countercultural as you can be today. Because you're not looking for everyone to affirm you. And here's the other thing. Once you stop worrying about surrounding yourself with people who will affirm you, you become free to not be a man-pleaser anymore. Truth-seekers know that to find truth, they can't find it primarily within. Truth-seekers know that to find truth, their inner life must conform with an external standard to God. Fools take all correction personally and as offensive. And therefore they will remain, as Proverbs 12.1 says, stupid. The second characteristic is found in verse 10 of chapter 9. That truth seekers begin with the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Why do truth seekers accept correction? Because they know and they live out the truth that they are not God. And they know that because they are not God, they need correction. And this begins with the fear of the Lord. This is repeated again and again throughout this book. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord God. And I want you to note here that in the book of Proverbs, it doesn't just say the fear of God. It says the fear of the Lord. It's not some generic idea that there's a God out there, but it's the personal name, the covenantal name of God that we are interacting with here. It's a specific God. It is the God who is there. Knowing that God is the foundation and fountain of all truth 
in knowledge. And the more you grow in the knowledge of the Holy One, the more you will grow in insight and wisdom. You will have more skillful, godly living in your life. If you want to know this world, you need to know the God who made it. Knowledge does not begin within. It does not begin with some feigned idea of neutrality that we don't know if God exists or not. It begins with recognizing the Lord God as the maker of heaven and earth. And this means foolishness begins with either overtly or practically denying God, the Lord God. We are foolish people when we can't, who can't tell up from down in this world anymore because we don't know the Lord God. It really is that simple. I know it sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it really is that simple. Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. If you want to be a fool, trust yourself. If you want to be stupid, don't accept correction. If you want to be a fool, follow your own heart and lean on your own understanding. Because wisdom begins by starting with someone far greater than you. The Lord. Why is this so necessary? When we're discussing the topic of truth and being able to find it, we are talking about an area of study that philosophers call epistemology. The study of knowledge. The study of truth. Does truth exist and can we know it? This is, in no uncertain terms, at the heart of our cultural chaos. We have a very bad epistemology. How do we know things? I don't know. Do we know things? I don't know. Philosophers and the brightest minds in the world for centuries have tried to answer the problem of knowledge apart from God. They've been trying to do it for centuries. And these are really, really smart people. They have the intellectual horsepower, but according to Proverbs, they're stupid and they're fools. Let me run through some of these really quickly. Rene Descartes famously said, I think, therefore I am. Rene Descartes is a famous philosopher, and he was trying to find a foundation for truth. Proverbs tells you the foundation for truth is the Lord. He said, I'm going to make it me. Right? I think, therefore I am. That's the foundation of knowing everything. This was the enlightenment. Man turned to man as the foundation of knowledge. Human reason and the scientific method became the gods of the day. The problem was that as man argued over reason in, in this world, he couldn't agree on what was reasonable. They thought that through reason we'd all reach a unified truth, but they couldn't do it. Why? Because man isn't fundamentally reasonable. He's rational, but he's not reasonable. He's sinful. So there came a response to this from men like David Hume. He was a skeptic and an atheist. And he came in and absolutely destroyed this idea of human reason. He said, this doesn't work, guys. Stop pretending like it does. He says, if everything is natural, then we really can't know anything. And he was right. In response to this came another great thinker, Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant came in and he tried to save this idea that we could actually know things on our own. And his idea as he looked at Descartes and he he looked at Hume and the skeptics was, well, actually we can know things because we were born with inherent categories in our brain. That can make sense of the world. Like, Levi, why are we talking about this? Stay with me. All right? Kant is why we are here where we are today. 
Because this idea that we have certain categories in our mind really means that we don't actually interact with the world one for one, but rather we interact with our interpretation of reality. All of truth becomes interpretation and relative. He tried to save truth, but Kant killed it. You don't start with the Lord, you become stupid. Finally came Frederick Nietzsche. He came into all of this. And he said, guys, let's just admit it. God's dead. We killed him. And he's, he's known for his famous parable of the madman. He said, all of society wants to pretend like God exists, even though they don't admit God exists. But I know that we've killed God, and that means everything is chaotic, meaningless madness. And let's just embrace it. And the world didn't want to embrace it, but now we're embracing it. This is exactly what Proverbs is getting at when it says, wisdom and knowledge begin with fearing the Lord. The brightest minds for the last several centuries can't even get to a point where we know that women are women anymore because they won't start with God. It really is that simple. Francis Schaeffer, analyzing this, put it well. He said, man's finiteness is his smallness. He is not a sufficient reference point to himself. What he's saying here is that we need an infinite standard and foundation to build upon, but we are not infinite. We are small. You can't be the reference point to everything. You're a puff of smoke here today, gone tomorrow. You can't build your life on a puff of smoke. So he says again later, he says, no matter what a man may believe, he cannot change the reality of what is. As Christianity is the truth of what is there, to deny this on the basis of another system is to stray from the real world. Let that sink in. Christianity is the truth of the world. If you stray from that, you lose touch with the real world. This is today. We're doing it societally. Don't do it personally. If you stray from the fear of the Lord in your life, you will live in crazy insanity. If you reject God and lean on your own understanding, you will eventually get to the point of our current absurdities. You will be what Proverbs describes as the stupid scoffer fool. Therefore, truth seekers begin with fearing the Lord. And so God is the truth, but we still live in a sinful world. And so we need, we need more than just beginning with God. I want you to consider an instruction here for truth seekers from Proverbs 18.17. It summarizes this. Truth seekers are patient and hear from many sources. Proverbs 18.17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. We've all been there. At least I hope you admit that you've been there. You hear one side of the story from one person. You immediately act in concern and outrage. But eventually you hear the other side. And all of a sudden you change your mind on what actually happened. If you've never been there, that's concerning. I had this happen to me last week. I was uh, in a meeting with some non-CBC folks, and I thought I had a clear understanding of the situation until I heard the other side, and I completely changed my mind. I'm like, now that I've heard this information, well, actually, I think this is, 
This is what's going on. This is a basic principle that we all have to work into our lives. Every one of us in this room at some point in our lives have been lied about. Or had someone put their spin on an event that made you look bad and people jump to unfair conclusions. The fair man and woman then realizes that they should never race to conclusions until they hear both sides. The one who speaks first gets to frame the story however they want, but you have to reserve some judgment until you hear the other side of the story. One of the reasons why gossip and slander are sinful and so destructive and deadly is because it is often just one side of the story and the person who receives it never goes and hears the other side. If you are willing to pass judgment on someone when you've only heard from an aggrieved party, you're a fool. You should know better. It's happened to you. This is not the character of a truth seeker. The truth is not afraid of being examined. It's not afraid of being questioned or argued over. This again should color your whole life. There are two sides to every story. Treat others as you should or you want to be treated. In our social media age, accusation has become weaponized all the time. And people run around like fools, jumping to conclusions based on clearly one-sided reports. There are entire websites that exist and thrive and make money off of doing this. And we've seen these things happen to the President of the United States, to Supreme Court justice nominees on down. One side comes out, you hear the other side, you're like, eh, maybe it wasn't as bad as I was making it out to be. This is why the idea of being innocent until proven guilty is not only wise, but it's biblical. This is why the idea of cross-examination in a court of law is not only wise, but biblical. And so we have a proliferation of so-called discernment ministries out there today. And what they do is they want to pull people away from people they label as being cultish, but they end up doing the same thing that they accuse the other party of doing. They say, you guys blindly trust him, but you should blindly trust me without reading the other side of the equation. Again, ignore God's wisdom, you become an idiot. Through and through. Be willing to hear from multiple sources. Look for corroborating evidence before passing judgment. And allow for the possibility of exculpatory evidence. If you won't change your mind, no matter what facts come to light, you're not acting in good faith. James 3.17 says this, Wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That verse is so countercultural, especially within the church. Like one of the things that drives me the most nuts today is watching Christians just attack each other through various online mediums, none of them following the biblical example of hearing both sides of the equation. You are not doing the work of God, you are doing the work of Satan. Truth seekers are patient to pass judgment. That does not mean that you're afraid to land somewhere, but it does mean that there is a process before you do. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. 
but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. We have again this theme that you need to be willing to hear from multiple people and not just trust your gut. Last, the fourth characteristic, verses 11 through 12 of chapter 9. Truth seekers will be rewarded. For by me, that is wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. In short, you will reap what you sow. If you sow foolishness, you will reap death. If you sow wisdom, you will reap life. This is how the Lord has designed the world to function. If you sow self-righteousness and unforgiveness, you will always feel right, but you will become lonely and anxious because your soul testifies against you. If you sow anger and bitterness in your life, you will reap broken relationship after broken relationship. If you lean on your own understanding and you reject God, you will end up with pure silliness. At the beginning of this series, I told you this. I said, I'm going to tell you how to live a good life. Not because Levi is wise, but because God has given you a whole book to tell you how to live a good life. I can't think of, in my experience in ministry, in life in general, few things more important than getting these principles down for seeking truth. You want to live a good life. You don't want to be tossed to and fro by every single thing that pops up and everybody gets anxious about. Practice these things. Be patient. You don't have to have a thought as soon as you read it. You don't have to have a verdict right away. You can wait for more facts to come out. It's okay. Actually, it's wise. And so truth seekers, if you want your days to be multiplied and your life to be blessed, then you must be humble and teachable. These are not common characteristics today. I want to close by saying a few things to you. Uh, Wisdom and knowledge, though important, are not enough. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and his life became a mess. He chose sin over faithfulness. He chose disobedience, and he knew better. The story of Solomon reminds us the importance of wisdom, yes, but that it is incomplete if you do not have a Savior. Christ comes down to earth. He's the embodiment of truth. He's the embodiment of God's wisdom. And Christ is what we need, not just truth and not just wisdom. I mean, wisdom begins with fearing the Lord. Right? I add to that. Fearing the Lord Jesus Christ. We need salvation. We need a Savior. And so we read in Colossians 2.3 that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like all truth and wisdom and knowledge revolve around him and you have to go to him as your savior to get those things. Like the problem isn't just here, it's all of you. Truth seekers have to go to Christ because without him there is no truth and without him there is no wisdom and without him there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no renewal of society. There is no turning of fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers. There is no renewal of families or of churches or of anything else without the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. 
without a reliance upon him. A passionate, obedient faith in him. Without Christ and his death and his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and his promised return, without that there are no hope, or there is no hope. And so Christ seekers must be truth seekers, and truth seekers must seek Christ. Christ alone is our hope in life and death. He provides every need, for he is God in the flesh. And we are about to move into that season where we celebrate that and sing the great hymns that remind us of that. He is our hope in life and in death. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you this morning that you have spoken to us in your word. I pray that the seed that is sown today would not fall on thorn-infested ground or by the path or by the rocky soil, but Lord, that it might find good soil ready to repent and believe, ready to throw themselves upon the hope of this world, a good and sure hope that is Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may you send these people out into your world confident and bold, for they are found in you by grace through faith. And Lord Jesus, come back quickly. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christ Bible Church. Remember, this world is dripping with meaning because Christ created it, he sustains it, and he is reconciling it all to himself. Now go and live out that glorious truth.